brother. Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm thankful for the way uh, that God has made us into a church more and more that is just uh, welcoming uh, to many people. Uh, if you didn't stay around last week for the, the business meeting after the worship service, one of the things that happened there is we did have a lot of members, more members than I ever remember being at a business meeting before, but a lot of members uh, voted unanimously uh, to, to, to go ahead with forming a building committee and a separate building finance committee uh, to proceed with the process of adding a bit of space onto our building that we hope will help us to connect well with one another and be more welcoming to others joining us as well. So, Grateful for that, grateful that we get to now open up God's Word. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and you can go ahead and turn today to Luke chapter 4. We're looking at verses 14 to 30, and I love, as I've studied this, this book, and as we've walked through it together, seeing the great detail with which Luke walks us through God's plan to save all kinds of people through Jesus. Now, when I say all kinds of detail, lots of detail, it is true. If you look at Mark's gospel, the gospel according to Mark, by Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is already beginning his public ministry. Mark 1, verse 14. Luke, we wait until Luke chapter 4, verse 14, before Jesus begins his public ministry. We had to get 183 other verses uh, done before we get to Jesus beginning his public ministry. Luke shares a lot more detail than Mark does. But what we're going to learn today as we look at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry is we're going to see what was at the heart of Jesus' ministry. We're going to see how people start to respond to Jesus and his message, and we're going to look at what this means for us today. Here's, here's the argument, here's the big idea for today's message. Jesus, the long-expected prophet and Messiah, came to proclaim the good news to the unaccepted and was himself unaccepted by those who expected to be accepted. If you're able, would you stand as we read now the very Word of God. We need help. Let's pray and then we'll read. Father, that is true. I thank you that we have been able to pray already together this morning, and now we pray specifically that you would, uh, would work the soil of our hearts, all of us, that as the word gets planted, it would grow and bring about a great harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, God's word says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the country, all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Amen. You can be seated. Powerful passage again. It just, it just keeps going. Last week we saw Jesus facing temptation in the wilderness and succeeding. Not failing like Adam had done. Not failing like Israel had done. Not failing like all of us do when we face temptation. But Jesus triumphed in the wilderness as he faced temptation. You remember that he was led into the wilderness. How? It said, by the Spirit, right? The Spirit, Jesus full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now we look here in verse 14, and we find out that Jesus is returning in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, Galilee, if you look on the map there, is the region to the north of Jerusalem. And this is the region in which Jesus uh, grew up. He grew up in Nazareth. That's at the southern portion there of Galilee. He spent kind of as his home base a lot of his ministry up further north in Galilee in Capernaum. Okay, So that's the region where Jesus' ministry, his public ministry begins, not right at the heart of Jerusalem, but up north in the region of Galilee. That's what we're told here. Really, verses 14 and 15 are kind of like a, a summary if you think about pictures of Jesus that come to your mind when, when I talk about Jesus' earthly ministry, and you're thinking about the time before the cross and before the empty tomb, what was Jesus' public ministry all about? Maybe in your mind you, you get a picture of Jesus in the boat with the disciples and there's a storm. Maybe you get a picture in your mind of Jesus healing the sick, of Jesus casting out demons. All of those things happen, and we're going to see them played out here in the gospel according to Luke. But Luke begins here 
because I believe that Luke is trying to communicate that at the very heart of Jesus' earthly ministry, prior to the cross and the resurrection, the heart of Jesus' ministry is the ministry of teaching. We're going to see over and over again, even the passage that Jesus is going to read in the synagogue uses the word proclaim three times. And so we see teaching being at the heart. That's what he begins with him doing. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus is in Galilee, and what is he doing? Verse 15, and he taught in their synagogue. Synagogue being the gathering place of those in the Jewish faith. And the the response of the people, very favorable to the teaching of Jesus in those opening months. It says he was being glorified by all. Jesus is going to do many things, but at the heart of all of it is his teaching. So, summary of Jesus, beginning of of Jesus' ministry is in verses 14 to 15. Now, the second section of the passage, 16 all the way through the end of what I just read, verse 30, tells of something that happened in Nazareth. So Nazareth is within the region of Galilee, but but Luke doesn't seem to, to go totally chronologically all the time. You can read about this same account in the book of Mark chapter 6 or in Matthew chapter 13. This is something that seems to have happened later on in Jesus' ministry, maybe a year into his public ministry. But Luke takes it and puts it here, and he's not being dishonest because he doesn't say on the next day or anything like that. He just says, and he came to Nazareth. He wants to highlight here the heart of who Jesus was and what he was coming to do in his ministry. So he takes this account of something that happened in his hometown of Nazareth and puts it right here at the beginning so we get kind of like a framework for Jesus' public ministry focused on teaching and the response that he gets from people. So that's where we pick it up then. Verses 16 through 30 speak of how Jesus proclaims that he, in fact, is the long-expected prophet and Messiah. So, let's get the setting down. Verses 16 and 17 told us, I just read it and I'm not going to read that part again, but this is Nazareth. This is the small town where Jesus was brought up. Because it's a small town, and we're in a small town, we know this, Nazareth was likely smaller than Iowa Falls, probably 2,000 or so people at that time. Okay? So small town, pretty much everybody knows everybody else's business there in the town of Nazareth. And so they would have known Jesus as he had been brought up there. And his custom, because his family, a faithful Jewish family, was that on the Sabbath, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, they would go together to the synagogue. Now, if you picture like what happens at a synagogue, a gathering place for those in the Jewish faith, it's very similar Uh, in many ways, to what we see happening when the church gathers on our Sunday, on the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. What they would do in a synagogue, singing was often a part of it, but certainly praying together was a part of it. They would read some prayers together. They would recite the Shema together. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would sort of recite Scripture together, and then Scripture was publicly read. And when Scripture was read, the person reading Scripture would stand, and they would usually have one reading from the law, the first five books of the Bible, and one reading from the prophets. And then oftentimes, and it wouldn't be the same person every week, but then they would sit down, and one of the men in the church would give an interpreter, not in the church, in the synagogue, 
would give an interpretation of one of the texts that was read. Okay? So that was the normal practice of what life in the synagogue looked like. And so that's the setting. Jesus and his family, being faithful Jews, would attend the synagogue, would go to the synagogue and gather with others and experience this kind of thing week in and week out. This is not abnormal at all. But this particular Saturday, this particular Sabbath, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah comes to Jesus and he unrolls it and he finds, this wasn't like the assigned reading for the day, Jesus finds this spot on purpose. And the power of what he reads. Now, now keep in mind that this would have been something probably quite familiar to the people gathered there in the synagogue. When Jesus read this, this is mostly from Isaiah 61 with also a bit from Isaiah 58. When Jesus got up and read this, this wasn't like, oh, I've never heard that before. This was something, this last section of the book of Isaiah, this is towards the end of the book, was all about the coming new age, right? The coming new age where, where God's prophet, God's servant, and God's Messiah would reign and rule. And so this was something that, that had given God's people hope for now 700 years, okay? So they knew this well. They were waiting for this. When Jesus reads it, it's not going to be like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. That's probably what most of the people there are thinking. I know that. Like they memorized that in Jewish Awana, right? Um, so they had been there before. And here's, here's what happens though. Hear this prophecy from Isaiah from 700 years before, and, and I wish we could hear Jesus read it. Elders mentioned this in our meeting this morning. I'd like to know what he emphasized, but probably the me. When, when Jesus is reading this, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Two, and here's where we're going to see proclaim come up three times, and we're going to hear uh, of a number of people that are, are, are more looked at as those who were unacceptable, the people who recognized they're needy. Listen to what he's doing. He is coming to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this prophecy in Isaiah about a new age coming, where one is coming to be the prophet to proclaim the word of the Lord, and who's also coming to be the anointed one, the Messiah, the King, that one who is coming prophesied 700 years ago in Isaiah. Jesus reads that passage, and listen to what he does next. <laughs> I love this. Verse 20 and 21. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The drama, right? As he, he's done reading, he takes the time to roll the scroll back up hands it to the attendant, and he sits back down. Remember now, when they would read Scripture, they would stand, which he had just done. When they would interpret it, they would sit. And he sat down 
And listen, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. The synagogue gathering was maybe a little more informal even than our gathering here. But at this moment, all of a sudden, nobody's looking at their phone anymore. Right? Nobody's thinking, of, like they, they just heard this powerful word that they had heard before, filled with hope. But they, maybe it was the way that Jesus read it. We don't know. But suddenly, the spirits at work, their attention is fixed on him. What is he going to say about this passage? Verse 21, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I just, I just, I got goosebumps again, just reading it. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The, the hopes and fears of all the years, right? The, the long expected one. He just read this and he says, and like we said in our elders meeting, this is like a mic drop moment. And if I could drop my mic right now, I would, but it's attached to my head, so I can't, right? This, this, is, this is everybody, everybody there. This is going to impact them in some way. As Jesus reads this and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You've been waiting for this. You've been hoping. You've been longing. And today is the day. And their response, verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That's the initial response. No way. But then there maybe is a little bit of doubt, too. Like, no way. When we read this, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? Maybe with like awe and amazement and maybe with a little bit of doubt. <laughs> like Joseph the carpenter? Like, it, this guy, this, this 30-year-old guy just had the boldness to stand up and read this and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled and you're here. We know him. We've watched him grow up. Like he made our furniture. He waves at us in the street when we go by. He, my kids grew up with him. This guy? Is not this Joseph's son? Is the question and Jesus, now remember, Jesus has just declared himself to be the prophet that God prophesied, that, that, Israel, that Isaiah prophesied about. He's the prophet, and so he knows what they're thinking. And so listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. That's a proverb of their day that was well known. And, and he's like, it's kind of like saying, you're going to tell me, Oh, yeah, if you're the doctor, heal yourself. Or, yeah, if, you, if this is you, prove it, right? That's the basic meaning of the, prof, the, the proverb. So, physician, heal yourself. What you, we have heard you did at Capernaum. Now, this would be one of those things that indicates that this is later on in Jesus' ministry because they've already heard. He's been out doing ministry for a while, and now they've heard of things that he did in Capernaum. While he was up there in Capernaum, there were things that happened that they've heard about, and, and now their question, Jesus is anticipating, you're going to want me to do that here, aren't you? Right? What you have heard that you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So is Jesus going to do it? Is Jesus going to say, all right, if you want to see a miracle, I'll do a miracle? Look at verse 24. And he said, truly I say to you, 
no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus knows that the reaction of the people who had watched him grow up is going to be, nah, they're going to reject him. They're not going to accept him. No prophet, Jesus says, is acceptable in his hometown. Now, he right there is aligning himself, kind of putting himself in, in a camp with the Old Testament prophets who were rejected often by God's people as well, right? It's not news to them that, that Israel would often reject the prophets that God sent to them, and Jesus is saying, I'm one of them. And you, people of my own hometown, are not going to accept me. You're going to reject me as well. What is the response to that? Now, Jesus is going to keep talking, and he's going to, I think, shock people once again with these two examples that he used from their history. Just, just You already heard me read it. This is going to make them mad. At first they're excited. He's, going to, he's about to make them mad. Because listen to the examples that he uses. These come from Scripture, from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. The story of a time where there was a great famine throughout the land. And it affected many people. But any time there was something tragic that affected a lot of people... The people that got affected the most were the most vulnerable people, and some of the most vulnerable people were widows. Widows who did not have any means of caring for themselves or providing for themselves, they would probably be more in danger of suffering during a famine than anyone else, right? And so you've got these widows who were suffering, and many of them Israelites. So Israelite widows, people who could trace their their ancestry back to Abraham, God's chosen people, and they were suffering and in great danger during this famine. But listen, do you remember, Jesus is saying, you remember what God did? Wouldn't you think that God would send his prophet to his, to his own people, right? Wouldn't you expect that God would take care of Israel first? And Jesus tells this story summarizes it in this way verse 25 but in truth i tell you there were many widows in israel in the days of elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land they're like oh yeah i remember this but then jesus reminds them and elijah was sent to none of them but only to zarephath in the land of sidon to a woman who was a widow during a time of great rebellion amongst God's people where they were rejecting God and rejecting his prophet, God sent his prophet to someone else, a widow in the land of Sidon, north of Israel and north of Galilee. And then he's got a second example to share with them. It's an example from 2 Kings chapter 5, the prophet named Elisha, which sounds a lot like Elijah, but a little bit different. He was the next prophet, and same kind of situation. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. A leper needed to be healed, and there was a whole bunch of them right there in Israel. But Jesus reminds them, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So during a time of 
rebellion amongst the people of Israel. They are rejecting God and His Word. God is sending His prophets to go to other people. Now Jesus is sharing this in a synagogue filled with Jewish people. And how are they feeling about it? Look at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. That's their response. They're not thinking, oh good, the prophet and Messiah is him. He came from my hometown. I grew up with him. Sign my, you know, give me an autograph. We're going to be famous. You're putting Nazareth on the map. That's not their response. Their response is, you need to die. And so they take him to the cliff, and their intent is execution at that moment. Now, without any detail of how it happened, we just know it's not yet Jesus' time. And so, miraculously or however... We see verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. They had managed to get him out of the synagogue and to the brow of the hill. So they had taken him out to the edge of town. They had successfully done all of that. But at the moment where an execution could have taken place, somehow Jesus gets away. So that's where it ends. That's Luke's introduction to Jesus' earthly ministry. We see this. Jesus' Jesus' teaching is at the heart of it, and he is clearly sharing with other people that he is the long-expected prophet and Messiah of Israel. And God's plan is for Jesus not only to save Jews, but also Gentiles. And there's an emphasis in what he read there of these unaccepted people, the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Jesus had come to save all kinds of people, even the unexpected, unaccepted ones. So that's what we see in this introduction to Jesus' earthly ministry in verses 14 to 13. What's the application for us? Application one is shorter. And that's just a warning. The warning is don't let familiarity with Jesus lead to rejection of Jesus. Many of you here today have heard of Jesus for most of your life. Is that true for many of you here today? You have heard of Jesus for most of your life. Like the people in Nazareth. Small town, they grew up with him. They knew a lot of things about Jesus. But their familiarity with Jesus led to a skewed view of who he really was. And in the end, they would reject him. Let that be a warning to us. Church people, your familiarity with Jesus can lead to a rejection of Jesus. They saw him as just Joseph's son. So they would not joyfully submit to him as Lord and Savior. They couldn't see him as the long-awaited prophet and Messiah. They couldn't see him as Lord and Savior, so their familiarity with him caused them to reject him. You may know Jesus only from the limited picture that you have had uh, 
throughout the course of your life. Maybe you know him only as an example of love, or maybe on the other hand, you know Jesus only as a harsh judge. I encourage us, church, let's get to know the Jesus of the Scriptures, not in a way that leads us to reject him, but become familiar with Jesus in a way that that confirms to us Oh, he is who he says he is. He is the long-expected prophet. He is Messiah, and I will joyfully submit myself to him as Savior and as Lord. Let's not let familiarity with Jesus lead to rejection of Jesus. And then the second application is this. Church, the work of Jesus continues through us. Remember that that Luke wrote a sequel to the gospel according to Luke. It's called Acts, and that's about how the work of Jesus continues through his church. So three things we're going to cover here, and then I'll go through them one by one. One, we proclaim the good news. If Jesus' earthly ministry was a lot about proclaiming the good news, then we as a church continuing the work of Jesus ought to proclaim the good news. Number two, we are to go to the unaccepted. We're going to see throughout the gospel according to Luke, that Jesus continually goes to the unaccepted and unexpected. We too should do that. And number three, we don't expect to be accepted by everyone. Right? So let's go through each of those as we close today. One, we proclaim the good news. Jesus, again, did many things during his earthly ministry, but at the heart of it was Jesus' teaching. We do a lot of things as a church. If you look at our calendar, it's filled with a lot of things. But my hope is that more and more, at the heart of what we're doing, whether we're gathering in a life group, whether you're going to Awana, whether you're coming to Sunday school, wherever it is that you are, that at the heart of what we're doing as a church is the teaching of the Word of God. This is what gives life. This is what sustains. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So may that be of our church said that we proclaim the good news. This is at the heart of what we are doing. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's just see this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen to this charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's what we want to characterize the ministry of our church. We know this, the grass withers. And the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So may we continue the work of Jesus by being a church grounded in and proclaiming the good news. Number two, we go to the unaccepted. There are people, listen, there are people all around us who feel like outcasts, rejects. They feel unaccepted everywhere they go. Their family is a mess. Maybe they don't have a lot of money. Maybe they don't smell awesome. Maybe they're more familiar with a rap sheet than a resume. They might not be good at social stuff. They might not get good grades in school. They might not know how to properly behave. They might be struggling with an addiction. They might struggle to hold on to a job. And they can't imagine stepping foot in a church because we're the people that judge them and ignore them. That's wrong. 
when we're out around town at a game, at a meet, at a concert, wherever it might be, we ignore them and instead go sit by the people who make us feel more comfortable. People who look like us, people who smell like us, spend like us, talk like us. That's just more comfortable. But church, let's continue the work of Jesus by going to the unaccepted. James 2 verses 5 and 6 says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Church, let's reach out to the unaccepted, that as we get to know Jesus more through the gospel according to Luke, that we would have our hearts stirred, that we want to be more Christ-like in the way that we go to and welcome those who are easy for us to not accept, that we might sit by them at a game, welcome them into our home, and welcome them into our church. I'm grateful that our church unanimously agreed, let's, let's, let's expand our space, and a lot of that space is going to be used for just welcoming others. And I am hoping and praying that we would use it to welcome a whole bunch of people that aren't very much like us people who feel unaccepted and unwelcomed everywhere else, that here would be a place they would feel welcomed and loved and accepted. Romans 15, 7 says this, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We are those who recognize that we are the, the blind, the poor, Right? The, the, those, those that are in such deep need and, and that our God would look on us and save us and welcome us, that's what motivates us to look on any kind of people. Proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and welcoming them. And then finally, we don't expect to be accepted by everyone. Jesus knew he wasn't going to be accepted in his own hometown. The people that he had grown up with would reject him, and he knew it. He told them that right off the bat. When Jesus did the things in number one and two, when Jesus proclaimed the good news, when Jesus went to the unaccepted, that, that made him unacceptable to a lot of other people. Kids in school, if you, if you do the kinds of things that Jesus wants you to do, if you live the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live, you're not going to be quickly accepted by everyone. Adults, the same is true for us. As we follow Jesus and continue his work, we must fight against our urge to just be accepted by everyone. We need to recognize that this is true. What Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 was this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So church, the work of Jesus continues through us. May we be a church that proclaims the good news of the gospel, a church that goes to the unaccepted, and a church that doesn't expect to be accepted by everyone. If we're going to do that, we need help. And so let's pray. Father, we come before you because like kids who come to mom or to dad because they need help, we come before you because we need help. Thank you that you have sent your son 
to speak your word and to rescue sinners like us who were unacceptable before you. And God, would you guard us so that our familiarity with Jesus doesn't lead us to reject him? Would you forgive us for failing to proclaim the good news? Would you forgive us for ignoring the unaccepted? Would you forgive us for expecting your grace as though we somehow deserved it? Would you forgive us for caring so much about what other people think about us that we actually fail to obey your commands? Help us, God, to be okay with others not accepting us because we're so amazed that you have. Help us to stand amazed that you would look at us sinners condemned unclean and that you would shower your love and mercy and grace on us and help us to sing your praise now in a way that propels us to sing it all of this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.